Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We're so happy you're here with us. And hi, sugar. Hello. It's our podcast date. Yeah, it is. I love it. First podcast date in daylight savings time. Couldn't be happier about that. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, Should we start with some announcements, announcements, announcements? Let's do it. Okay. Here's a big one. And it's one that if you are planning to, have been planning to come to our Sacramento uh, theater show coming up in April, you really need to pay attention. Don't like tune out because you're like, I know all the announcements. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. The date for our big theater uh, debut show of the Good To Me concert has been changed. It's changed. It was on Friday, April 21st. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, it is on Saturday, April 22nd. They had like a theater emergency of some sort and asked us in a very urgent way, could we accommodate a date change? Like apparently it was sort of existential on their end. Yeah, they really needed the change. So we're like, okay, we'll do that. Also, this means we get a Saturday night, which hopefully will be make it easier for folks yes. who are planning to travel from somewhere else to come. Um, who work during the week and yeah. maybe had a chance of being tired on a Friday evening. And, you know, now you can have the whole good night's sleep Friday night to Saturday. Totally. Have your day off on Saturday. Come to the show, relax. Maybe go out to dinner beforehand. So it's really a new and improved date yeah. for our Sophia concert it's in really Sacramento. Good. It's also uh, been moved an hour later, which is great because the first time they had for it was a little on the early side, frankly. And this is much better. It's- this is like seven o'clock doors, eight p.m. show. So and it's plenty perfect. of time to like go grab a bite to eat with your friends and then yeah. come to the show after. It's going to be awesome. And you don't have to have like a weirdly early like five p.m. dinner. You can just have a normal dinner and that's, then come to the show. That's right. So. Sophia Theater, Sacramento, California, April 22nd, 8 p.m. Showtime. Saturday. Saturday, April 22nd. That's when our concert is. Um, And if you don't yet have tickets, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Go get your tickets. Seriously, get your act together. (laughs) Apparently, they're selling reasonably well. That's so good. We've been hearing from our promoter rep, and uh, they have been telling us that tickets are just kind of selling sort of steadily, and it's really good. Yeah, and Jamie will put the link for getting tickets in the show notes, so that's where you can follow to go get them. Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. Also, people, just an evergreen announcement. Wanted to let you know that we've got music out in the world for you to listen to. The way that you can help support us is by going and listening to it. Yeah. Most people listen on Spotify. That's actually really good for us right now mm-hmm. because we're doing some stuff where we need to demonstrate people's interest in what we're doing to other people. <laughs> and we can do that most easily on Spotify. They That's make it, right. They make it easy to do that. That's what everyone looks at. So yeah. uh, if you're a Spotify listener, just go listen to the new record. It's called Good To Me. It's wonderful. Go listen to the new single. It's called Wouldn't It Be Good. It's a ah. cover of the Nick Kershaw Pretty in Pink soundtrack classic. It's an ass-kicking version of this song. <laughs> Seriously, it just comes out swinging and doesn't stop. It's euphoric. It's so joyous. You will absolutely love it if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, Also, anywhere else you enjoy listening to music is great by us too. Go listen on Bandcamp. It's free there for the first number of listens. Go listen on Apple Music. Mm -hmm. Go listen on CoBuzz. I don't know your life. (laughs) Do what you want. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up our announcements. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, great. So Jamie. Yes. How are you feeling today? (sighs) Thanks for asking, sweetheart. So I'm feeling two really divergent ways. Okay. Uh, I am so happy because we got to go walk along the waterfront. The sun is out. It's a bright blue sky. Mm. It was just really the first 
like pre-spring day. Mm -hmm. That's really what it felt like mm -hmm. to me today, you know? Like I was able to walk in an unzipped hoodie what? in the sunshine on the waterfront and it was just a spring-like vibe. So nice. Chilly but lovely. Uh, and then on the other hand, I just have some latent anxiety. Mm. I don't know why. Mm. It's not connected to anything that's happening in my life and so at least intellectually I know that. Mm -hmm. Everything is good. Everything is fine. Uh, so I... At least I know that to be true, and that's helpful. Yeah. Also, my body is just like, what if we got a little nervous about things? Yeah. So you know, there's yeah. that. I I have experienced that too. Yeah. So and and have over the last couple of days. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So I get it. I I, get it's it. a half moon. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> I'm grasping. Yeah. How are you feeling, sweetheart? Yeah. You know, um, I while I mentioned a moment ago that I have had some of those like, where's this anxiety coming from mm. moments? I don't feel that really right now. Um, I'm feeling mostly happy. Like just yeah. getting out in the sunshine felt so good. Yeah. It just was really calming and nurturing, and it was great. Um, and I'm I I was gonna put. Uh, as my second one here, the, that I was feeling slow, but that's not a feeling. No, no. <laughs> so I went with relaxed. <laughs> like I, I just, I'm feeling like I'm moving a little slow today, but also like maybe today's just a slow day and I'm just going to accept that and Great. it's fine. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll move through the stuff I've got to do. Yep. Slowly. Yeah. <laughs> and that will be okay for today. We really, really busted our butts the last few weeks leading up to this week. Like we worked really, really hardcore 60 plus hour weeks uh, and like hardcore 60 hour weeks too. Not like slacker 60 hour weeks. Is it possible to work a slacker 60 hour uh, week? Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But like maybe we just need to take things slightly slower this week. It's I know possible. that I'm open to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Right on. So, uh, hey, how about we fire up the good news machine? Yeah, let's do that. So last week, uh, last for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about sort of the five alarm fire that is the um, the the extreme rights attack on trans people yeah. right now, um, and and just trying to figure out like what what exactly is going on. How can we, you know, uh, how can we what, what what kind of response can we have to that? that's productive and helpful for the cause of the human rights of trans people and yeah. all people. Um, and so uh, we've been talking about that. But in the wake of, of that discussion, uh, uh, you and I got a message from one of our misfit stars, Amanda, which I wanted, I immediately slotted into the good news machine mm. for this week because she, she wrote us apropos of like, yeah, feeling all this stuff. And also she's like, we take the wins when we can. And she screenshotted, um, I'm not even sure where the screenshot comes from, but some news, news source that she screenshotted, um, uh, about some news out of Michigan. And last week, the state legislature in the state of Michigan passed a bill focusing on civil rights protections for the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. um, they expanded uh, a, what's called the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act there. Um, uh, it would make it illegal. Oh, so they, 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 this is the name of the act that they voted on last week. And it was it's, it's an expanded version, I think, of something that was already existing there. Anyway, this new bill would make it illegal for landlords or employers to evict or fire someone based on their sexual orientation. Um, one state Democratic lawmaker there in Michigan said that the bill would help make Michigan a place where everyone is welcome. Um, 
I, I won't I won't read what the Republican response was because it was stupid and mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. just, and the very fact of including it in that article I remember from reading it at yeah. the time was very much kind of both sidesy horseshit. Well, like yeah. if one side is operating a good faith and the other side is not operating good faith, you don't have to quote both sides, journalists. Yeah. Well, I'm like you're okay, getting so, played like a goddamn. So fiddle. now I'm gonna say it because it was the 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 way this this article posed it was some state Republicans worried the measure would dismiss religious organizations and businesses' beliefs. And look, news people don't have to report on the fact that, like, that's not, it's not an equivalent argument. Like, okay, so some state Republicans are like, don't believe that LGBTQIA plus people should have all these rights and that therefore this law is infringing on their beliefs. No, you can believe whatever fucked up thing you want to. (laughs) People still get rights. You know, it's not the same thing. It's it's just, the false equivalency is maddening. Yes. But that said, we take the wins when we can. Yes, we and do. This is the good news machine right. segment. And so, yes, like we're in a state like Michigan where honestly, like it's, it's, it's actually like a bigger story really than just this one bill because the state of Michigan for the last couple of decades has kind of been a purpley state. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of been a swing state. Mm-hmm. Um, but in recent years, uh, there have been enough Democrats elected in that state at the state level that they've been able to actually... Um, like have uh, like more balanced and fair elections yes. there, which actually reflect so that they can they can elect leaders that actually reflect the the desires of the residents of the state of Michigan. It's yeah. not like gerrymandered or lopsided to you know to to coddle to some like minority extremist point of view. Well, if you, you know? look at their uh, neighbors uh, to the west in Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Michigan are almost exactly the same, demographically speaking. Right. Very 50-50, very, uh, you know, purpley. But Wisconsin has had a horribly gerrymandered state legislature uh, over the last couple of decades. And so even though it's a 50-50 state, it's much more like 70-30 in terms of like even the potential for elected representation. And Democrats are the 30. You know what I mean? I'm not even sure that it's accurate to call them 50-50 states because voter suppression and this gerrymandering has been so... Uh, pervasive over the last few decades. Yes, that's right? fair. They poll 50-50. Right, but... And polls can sometimes get at people's, uh, you know, e- beliefs. Well, I mean, actually in polling, some of the on issues, even in these states, more progressive policies poll much better, more, way more than 50-50. Well, and that's 50-50. true across the country. Right, so I but, mean, there is so much Republican support for gay rights, for LGBTQIA plus rights, more rights. generally abortion rights, poll like 78% or Labor something like rights. that. It's ridiculous, yeah. yeah. It, totally. Like, it's... So to get back to the point of Michigan and this being sort of a bigger, a larger story is that in the state of Michigan, they've been able to actually elect enough Democratic leaders so that that their elections are more reflective of the actual thoughts and beliefs, policy, you know, uh, beliefs of the population. And it turns out that when that's the case, People, they can pass laws that protect human rights. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. You know, and 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 so, you know, that's what we get when we fight for, uh, for, for you know, when we fight for leaders who are going to uphold democratic standards and like fair elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's good news across the board. So, yeah. It's wonderful Good news. job, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, will you help us get less dumb? Class, anyone? 
anyone? Man, yeah, totally. So this is also kind of a good news machine. It's Ooh. like a it's like a good news machine. Let's get less dumb collab. Ooh, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's really exciting. So uh, this comes to us as things sometimes on this podcast do via Matt Stoller's excellent uh, antitrust and anti-monopoly newsletter. Cool. Yeah, totally. Uh, anyone who wants to get into this newsletter, just Google Matt Stoller. S T O L L E R. It's a once a week, very dense newsletter that takes me a very fast reader, like twenty minutes to read. Wow. It is it's good, like, but like it's meaty too. Sign up for homework at mattstoller.com. Seriously, right? <laughs> I mean, you could also just like sit around picking your nose, I suppose, you know. Or you're you're listen, an adult, you can make any choice you like. Or listen to this podcast where you're inevitably gonna tell us about you learned from Matt Stoller. I often will, yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. So this is super, super cool. So uh there has been this new uh, chairperson at the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Her name uh-huh. is Lena Khan. Superhero Lena Khan. Super Khan. Super Lena. Yeah. Super Lena. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Man, she is really just doing some great stuff. She's, well, you know, what she's doing. Honestly, she's just fucking enforcing laws. That's <laughs> that all she's exists. doing. But yeah. we have gotten so used in our country over the past couple of decades to leg- to uh, regulators just not regulating. Right. Just like sort of bending over any time a corporation asks them to. Right. And we just kind of gotten used to that sort of being the status quo here in the States. Right. But it turns out that there are actually laws on the books mm-hmm. that one can enforce if one is in the mind to. And when they are enforced, they redound to the extreme benefit of regular human beings yeah. who live in this country. Mm-hmm. That's why the regulations were put there to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So the really, really good news is that uh, is that basically, so she, well, this is about insulin. Okay. okay. <laughs> so you guys might remember how in the Inflation Reduction Act, Congress singled out insulin as being like in a uniquely egregious uh sort of abuse yeah. of pharmaceutical market power. Because right? it has been, yeah, yeah. totally. And what they did is they capped out-of-pocket costs for Medicare recipients at $35 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, side note, Democrats wanted to cap it for every single person in the country at $35 a month, but Republicans were like, no, right. because Republicans are Hate much people. more corporate... <laughs> Uh, slave masters than uh, Democrats are. There's a crossover. It's not black and white in that regard. There are some horrible corporatist Democrats also. I'm looking at you, Joe Manchin. You know, and there are others. But, uh, you know, that part of it didn't go through, but at least we got it for Medicare people. That's great. Right, and the change to, like, highlight that is, like, for some people, it was costing, pharmaceutical companies had raised the prices so much on insulin that it was costing people, like, some people like a couple thousand dollars a month yeah, to stay alive. Yeah, like because like you don't, not everyone needs the same number of injections each month. It depends how poorly or well your body regulates like the consumption of sugar. Right. You know what I mean? So sometimes you need one shot. Okay, there's your, you know, hundred whatever bucks, but maybe you need a shot every fucking day. Right. And if you do, it's 30 times that amount and it can be three grand. Right, right. Yeah, so it's really bonkers. Mm-hmm. So uh, suffice to say, uh, Lena Khan has been doing a bunch of stuff at the FTC to basically like threaten companies that are abusing their market power to overcharge customers. Okay. And it has resulted in this amazing win. And I'm just going to, I've excerpted some stuff from Matt's article. Okay. And I'm just, Matt, like we're friends. And... You know, I, hey, I, was, buddy. I was about to be like, I think he'd like me, but you know what? I don't think he would like me. <laughs> <laughs> Having read his newsletter, I don't think he would like me, but I like him, you know, uh, maybe not as a person, but at least as the writer of this newsletter, which is wonderful. So, uh, 
Anyway, I'm just going to get into this, okay? okay. So uh, he says here, the public anger here is deep and has begun to turn into political change. Uh, mentions the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, and how Congress capped that mm -hmm. at, at 35 bucks a month. This year, President Biden attacked Big Pharma in his State of the Union. I remember. Over the drug. Like, he specifically talked about insulin and this situation mm -hmm. in the State of the Union. Big deal. Uh, the California state government on their end uh, is launching an initiative to have the state itself make insulin. So good. Again, insulin's not like a patented thing anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, it was the 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 person who who discovered its usefulness and like first synthesized it for yeah. the, this use. It's a great story. Sold the patent to the United States government. Yeah. Was it to the government or to, to farm? I don't remember, but they sold their patent for $1. Yes. Because they realized the importance this medicine would be to keep people alive. Yes. Like, and so literally could have been the person to be like, yeah, I invented this life-saving thing. It's going to save millions of lives every year. I want one gajillion dollars. Yeah. And no, he's like, I'm going to sell this for $1 yep. for the sake of humanity. Yeah. And the pharmaceutical companies have taken that patent and jacked up the price like they've taken the intellectual property behind yeah. it made their own derivatives because again like it's no longer right. in a patented situation because it's a very old technology right, right, right. and they have like launched their own unique spins on it you know because right. there's different del delivery mechanisms different ways it can work in the body you know that right. kind of thing yeah so uh Continuing here, the, but the most interesting policy action to cut insulin prices happened last June at the Federal Trade Commission in a bipartisan uh, policy statement around the distribution of the drug. And when they say bipartisan, they mean the committee members, okay. Right? okay. the commission members, because there are some who are more democratic. FTC itself. That's right. Okay. Some of them are appointed by Republicans and are, and are Republican. Some are Democrats. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, the commission, it said, has received complaints about rebates and fees paid by drug manufacturers to pharmacy benefit managers. Now, that's called oh. PBMs. Remember that. Pharmacy yeah. benefit managers. It's an important concept. We'll return to that here in a minute. Uh, so, uh, we've received complaints about rebates and fees paid by drug manufacturers to PBMs and other intermediaries to favor high-cost drugs. Such an arrangement could, according to the FTC, violate a number of laws. The Clayton Act, the Robinson-Patman Act, or the Sherman Antitrust Act all of which prohibit forms of corporate bribery, right? So these are laws that have been on the books uh, for some cases for the better part of a century. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and they have been around for so long that corporations have just figured out how they can lobby lawmakers to look the other way, lobby enforcement officials to look the other way. Because mm -hmm. like, there's two ways that like corporations who don't want to follow a law get around it. One, they just lobby politicians to kill the law. To change so the it law. doesn't happen mm -hmm. to change the law in their favor or to kill a law that wouldn't be in their favor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then, though, if a law that wouldn't be in their favor does get on the books, they can still lobby the regulators just to look the other way and not enforce it, right. which is what we've been seeing right. in our country so much over the last 40 yes. years, you know? Mm -hmm. Sort of the, the, the neutering of the administrative state right. that started in the Reagan era, right? right. Um, so the FTC, he continues, isn't looking at the pharmaceutical producer's as the main force hiking insulin prices, but at a small set of middlemen known as pharmacy benefit managers. PBMs. That control which medicines are on our shelves. So who are these middlemen and what do they do? Uh. PBMs maintain a list of drugs for insurance companies. They negotiate drug prices and they manage reimbursements to pharmacies. The original idea behind PBMs is they would be able to get enough bargaining power by representing multiple insurance companies that they could negotiate to bring down drug prices, right? Seems so originally, good. it was a kind of a good idea in theory, <laughs> right? And 
accumulate bargaining power they did, merging and merging and merging until three PBMs now control 80% of the insurance market, uh-huh. right? And they are also vertically integrated with insurance companies and drugstore chains. So the top three PBMs are owned by CVS, United Health, and Cigna. So oh it's God. just like a collectively owned racket, right? Uh-huh. Um, so... Unfortunately, because of an exemption from anti-kickback laws, PBMs don't use their bargaining power to reduce consumer prices. Instead, what they do is they use their bargaining power to force pharmaceutical firms to compete over who will give the PBM the biggest kickback. Oh my God. Which in the industry is known as a quote-unquote rebate, right? Uh-huh. Because you have to at least call it the thing that sounds less illegal, I suppose. <laughs> So take insulin, for example. In 2013, Sanofi, that's another uh, drug company, uh-huh. uh, gave a 2 to 4% kickback on average to PBMs to prefer their product to customers. Like give it preferential shelf space. Okay, so let me, this, the help, to, help me to understand this. So Sanofi, what is it called? It's called Sanofi. Sanofi. They're, was, they're, they're like a pharmaceutical company. Right. Yeah. Sanofi was going to give this PBM. All the PBMs. Uh, there are multiple. All, all the PBMs. Extra money. Mm-hmm. To in order to list their drug at the top of what was acceptable for like insurance companies to at the top of the buy. list, yeah, okay. uh, totally. Okay. So any that sounds so, like a bribe. So to any me. hospital system who is in who uses that pharmacy uh, benefit manager uh-huh. to manage the uh, the price of the drugs and which drugs mm-hmm. are available to their customers, right? Yeah, uh, basically whatever the sale price is, they would just kick back two to four percent of that back to the PBM, like a little tip, like hey. Thanks for thanks for putting our thing at the top. Thanks for putting us on your list. Yeah, that sounds like a bribe. It's a bribe. Totally. It's the exact same thing as slipping a Mater D a hundred dollar bill to get you a good seat at yeah. the table. It's yeah. it's it's exactly yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um in twenty eight so in twenty thirteen that that uh, kickback number uh, that bribe amount was two to four percent. Okay. In twenty eighteen, five years later, that number had gone up to fifty six percent. Oh my god! Right. In other words, in twenty eighteen, more than half of the price of insulin is going to a middleman who does nothing more than accept bribes and push around paper. They don't make the drug. They don't distribute the drug. They don't provide the drug. They don't administer the drug. They're just sitting in the middle like a troll at a bridge. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, it's appalling. It's appalling. And he continues, basically to make money, PBMs solicit bribes in the form of a quote-unquote rebate from pharmaceutical firms in return for allowing their products onto pharmacy shelves. As of 2018, pharmaceutical producers like Eli Lilly were getting 47% of the revenue from their insulin products and PBMs were getting 53% of it. (gasps) So the company, the the pharma company, and let's be clear, Eli Lilly, all these pharma companies, fuck all of them. Right? right? I mean, on the one hand, two things are true at the same time about them, Mm. right? Two conflicting truths. On the one hand, they make life-saving remedies and they innovate in these spaces and they really do save a lot of lives. Also, they price gouge. Mm-hmm. So those two things are both true. But like they're making less than 50% of the profit from the drug that they themselves make and the middleman that they are bribing to get it into customers' oh. hands is making literally more than they are. My God. It's bonkers, right? So uh, why are they illegal? And so it or says, why are they illegal, I mean? And so it says here, PBMs and drug makers are in a cartel arrangement. Seriously? Where PBMs are engaged in market allocation in return for bribes. Yeah. And that's really, it's exactly like a drug cartel. Like, you get to sell meth in Tacoma, but you can't sell meth in federal way. You get to sell meth in federal way, but you don't get to sell meth in Seattle. You divide the marketplace up and you take kickbacks for protection. Right. Right, it of that scheme. So it's nuts. sketchy. Um, and so, he continues here, a PBM essentially sells a drug maker access to insurance companies. 
Right. In return for a higher quote-unquote rebate, a PBM will make your particular form of insulin the preferred product. And so all, say, United Health Group plan members will be offered your particular brand of insulin and perhaps not even allowed to buy a rival brand or a cheaper generic one. And don't they tell us all the time that capitalism is about the free market and competition? And this is just rigged. Oh, capitalists... It's such... It's, it's, such, capitalists, it's so rigged. Capitalists don't like competition at all. Capitalists like capital. Right, but, that, <laughs> but, but that's the line they sell us all the time. Of course. That, that that's what capitalism is all about. And clearly it's not. No. Like, I would like to think that when I go to see my doctor, if I need a medication for something, and they say, oh, the preferred treatment is this, yeah. that that statement is based in, like, science... And like the efficacy of the actual drug. For you personally. For me personally, not based on what massive kickback bribe that the pharmaceutical company has given to some middleman person to get it at the top of the list. Right. Like it's so effed up. Oh, it's completely messed oh up. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. So uh, he continues, while there are patents on newer insulin products, certain patented insulin medicines can be substituted for one another. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, Novo Nordisk's Novolog competes with Eli Lilly's Humalog, okay. right? They're both patented products, but they're patented. They're kind of the same thing. Just mm-hmm. they're each their own version of it. Okay, you know. Uh, so you would think that prices in general would go down since it's possible to bargain for better prices because there are competing modern products. But competition, because of these kickbacks, ends up driving prices up. Drug makers compete not to sell insulin at a lower price for better quality, as <laughs> happens in most countries. <laughs> Instead, in America, drug makers compete over who gives the biggest rebate to the PBM that manages that particular segment of customers. And of course, if you charge more, then the kickback is higher, so the incentive is always to push prices up. The competition has gotten so fierce that, as noted, more than half of their insulin revenue goes to the middleman. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And there are laws against what the PBMs do. Okay. As the FTC's statement noted, antitrust agencies haven't enforced these laws for a long time, but Lena Khan essentially announced in June... That the last June, that the commission is going to start bringing cases again. Okay. Right? And this is a big deal back in June, and we noted at the time that she came out saying, hey, these things you're doing against the law, and we're actually going to start doing our job, and, fly, yeah. and, and we're going to start suing you about uh-huh. this. And it's obviously super illegal. Yeah. And so... You know, that's a huge, huge threat. Uh, and so he continues, all of which brings me back to Eli Lilly's actions, which should be best understood as a pharmaceutical firm deciding to break from the cartel and compete on the merits. So Eli Lilly, a couple weeks ago, did four things. First of all, they cut the price on their own of their authorized generic Humalog to $25 a vial. They did this on their own. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did this is because back in June, mm-hmm. Mina Khan was like, we're going to start suing you because you guys are pushing mm-hmm. these prices up and it's completely fucking illegal. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, they cut the price unbidden of their own generic. Second, they capped monthly payments for anyone buying Eli Lilly insulin products at $35 a month, which is exactly what Medicare recipients pay under the IR. Right. Anyone paying cash at the drugstore for list price can get vials at $25 a piece. And if they need multiple vials per month, they can download a discount card from Eli Lilly's website to cap their total spending at $35 a month. Okay. Right? Third, Eli Lilly lowered the list price of Humalog uh, and Humalin, which is an older version, by 70%. Okay. And finally... Eli Lilly is launching a competitor product to a different insulin drug, Sanofi's Lantus, at a 78% list price discount. Okay. Uh, the other two main producers of insulin, Sanofi and Novo Nordisk, have not announced similar price cuts, but now, of course, they will be under extreme pressure to do so mm-hmm. because now 
for the first time in this marketplace in decades, mm -hmm. there is incentive to compete on price that is good for the customers. Right. Downward good price. This is what happens. Look, this is the thing you were talking about. Like in capitalism, theoretically, in free market competition, it's good for the consumers. And you have more people, the more, the more companies you have competing with, with each other, the better it is for consumers because competition among companies that aren't in a fucking cartel operation with right. each other drives prices downward, right. which is better for us. So this is a result of Lena Khan having essentially said, look, PBMs, we're coming after you with the laws that are on the books that you are you have been breaking for decades yeah. without us doing anything about it. Yep, totally. Uh, and, he, and he concludes here by saying the losers here are the PBMs. No longer will they get a giant rebate off an inflated list price, at least not for Eli Lilly products. It's possible that PBMs could react to this move by moving Eli Lilly's products off their product list, but Eli Lilly is a very powerful firm with tons of other products, so that's probably not going to happen, mm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just really, really cool, you know? So equal parts getting less dumb and good news machine because, you know, really, the, the, the top line takeaway here for me was that, like, mm. when government isn't malign, it works really well for people. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know? Right. Like, we're supposed to have a government of the people, by the people, for the people. For the people. <laughs> yeah. Right. And not of the people, by the people, for the corporations. <laughs> exactly. That's not how it goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Go Lena Khan. Go Lena Khan. So stoked work she's doing over there. I want to get a t-shirt with Lena Khan's name on it. I heart Lena Khan. I heart Lena Khan. Ah, <laughs> I love it. So good. Well, yeah. Jamie, today I have an item for the suggestion box. I want to speak to your manager now, please. Well, what do you have? So um, this is in the vein of, let's do more of this. I read this uh, in an article this last week. I'm like, yes, more of this, please. This is my suggestion to the manager okay. of everything. Um, and the article was in the Seattle Times. It was about tipping. Tipping. And um, the, the Seattle Times has done a couple of articles about tipping in the last few months. Um, but this was, and it's, and it's an argument that I've heard before, but it was just so well presented that I just thought, I want, and I went, like, yes, we need, to, we need to really like spread the idea that tipping sucks and should be eradicated from our culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So um, this, the Seattle Times piece, um, was highlighting a brewery in Seattle that decided to do away with tipping. Um, and I don't remember the name of the brewery, and I'm very sorry that I can't remember it at the, at the, at the time. But basically, um, what they had noticed was that um, in, uh, in, their, in, their, in the brewery, the people who were serving beer, you know, like out at the bar, would get a bunch of tips, and they would make a whole lot more money than the people working back of house actually making the beer mm -hmm. at this brewery. Mm -hmm. And that didn't seem fair at all. Uh, and so the way that they decided to deal with this was to eliminate tipping from uh, their establishment. And I know that the other restaurants have done this, other places that have like, um, you know, here and there, onesie, twosie have, have done away with it. But the results of this brewery were really just, it was very illustrative of the possibilities of doing away with tipping, mm -hmm. right? So this is from the Seattle Times piece. They ended up jacking the pay rate of the bartenders from about $16 an hour to roughly $28 an hour. Uh -huh. Then they raised the base price of the beer that they were selling, okay? So their call it a day pale ale, which is like one of their drinks, that, was, that had been $6 a pint mm -hmm. before tax or tip, is now eight dollars, mm -hmm. but there's no tax, and that the tax and tip are included in that eight dollars. Mm -hmm. So they don't ask for ta tax. They don't. They don't add. It's not like you get your bill and you're like, 
you know, normally you would have gotten the bill for a $6 beer and then there would have been a line item for tax and then an opportunity for you to add your tip and you would have ended up paying, you know, more than $6 for that Mm -hmm, beer. mm -hmm. Now you just get a bill for $8 and that's it. You pay $8, Mm -hmm. you sign your name and you walk away, Mm -hmm. right? So um, it means that they they ended up raising the the base beer price about 20%. um, from six dollars to seven twenty, mm-hmm. plus roughly eighty cents for taxes. Mm-hmm. The result is that now the front and back employees make similar wages. Mm-hmm. So like it's more like even across the board. And people buying beer aren't paying any more than they would have been paying otherwise. Right. And it's simpler. You don't have to like you know sit there and think and do math at the end of a you know at, at the end of your you know having a drink with a friend. <laughs> you, you just pay what you have to pay. Yeah. And like move on. But it it really made um the the status of the the wages of the employees is a lot more equitable and also tipping has such a terrible history like it's yeah. it's a it's a vestige of Tudor England yeah. and like you know uh it's 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 got just deep roots in like sexism racism classism mm-hmm. and that that's it, it's it's sort of like is a way to reinforce power structures, sure. you know, like keeping people who are serving those who are more important than them, you know, like giving them servile, exactly making them act the way you like, or they won't get enough money because right. you control their wage, right? And yeah. you know, having grown up in the United States, I just assumed this is the way things were. No, the first time I visited Europe and like in France, tipping offering a tip to a server in France is insulting, yeah. Right, because that they have done away with that. I'm not sure if they ever had it. I'm not sure what the history is there. But like, they don't do tipping. They just pay. People pay for their food and drink and whatever. What 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 needs to be paid in order to give yeah. the servers and the cooks and everybody who's working there a fair wage and everybody goes home happy. Yeah. I mean, like, you go to Office Depot and someone helps you buy a printer, you don't break the guy off 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you just go and you buy a printer and you say thanks and you leave. And if you think about it, the idea that it would be any different for food service is just really, really weird. Yeah. They're just selling you a thing you need, like a printer. Right. What's the difference? Right. Well, and it's interesting. This article was talking about the fact that with the sort of advent of digital payment systems, mm-hmm. there's actually... we're starting to see more places besides like restaurants and bars and things like that with an option to tip. It's so weird, yes. And so it's actually in our country with these digital payment systems kind of moving in the wrong direction. Like, no, we don't need more tipping. We don't need to be relying on people uh, having a moment of feeling like, Generous in order for some a worker to get a fair wage. You know what I mean? Well, like, and also in a lot of places like that, like if they're not food service establishments, there is no uh, tip credit. So the way that a uh, tipped minimum wage works, uh, federally speaking, is that there's a federal law that tipped minimum wage uh, for people who do service work is $2.13 an hour. And it's been that way for, I mean, many, many decades. It hasn't yeah. really moved. Uh, and basically the idea is that states require employees to pay tipped employees a minimum cash wage uh, above the minimum wage, but less than, uh, above the tip minimum wage, but below the actual minimum wage in their state. And the, the difference is what's known as a tip credit, right? So basically, like, every state has to kind of do their own calculations, and every state's laws are a bit different. But the basic math is that, like, okay, if the federal minimum tip minimum wage is $2.13 an hour, and the state minimum wage is, let's say, $12 an hour, mm-hmm. then you, then servers have to be guaranteed that they're going to make at least $9.87 an hour in tips to make up that 12 but bucks an hour. 
How can you be so guaranteed they, that? Well, I mean, you look at the averages, right? Because you have to report tips and right. that kind but of thing. But it's not a guarantee. No, that's it's not the at thing. all. Like that's if you are a worker and you're like, you know, if and you're counting on tips as you know part of your income, like. It's it's not guaranteed. That's the whole point. That's entirely the point. And that's not the point I was getting at. Okay. So what I was getting at is you were talking about other non-food service businesses. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they've started in weird places like that, like places where you just like go to the counter to buy something and leave. Right. And you and the the point of sale system like has basically like all the point of sale systems be it square yeah. or whatever they have it built in they just have it built in and it's literally just a, a checkbox you can be like toggle the little slide or whatever like ask for tips or don't ask for tips right and then you can set the preferences like do you want to do the one dollar two dollar three dollar buttons or do you want to do the 10 15 20 percent buttons right you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's always three buttons uh and I'm sure that for many managers in those kind of retail situations, the mind or the owners, the mindset is, well, let's just let's just turn the slider on. Let's just we no harm in asking. Right. But then it puts us at the cash register in this really uncomfortable position as a yeah. customer. Like, wait a minute, I'm not used to being asked for a tip in this situation, but I also don't want to be a dickhead. Yeah. So do I just like do it, but a little bit? Do I not do it? Like, what's and what will people think of me? Like, all of a sudden, it becomes just like this weird social problem, right? And it's just not cool, and no, like at all. Like, the only time you should be asked for a tip period is food service. Yeah, well, no, and um, what I'm my suggestion is no, not well, even there. Yes, one hundred percent true. Yeah, I completely That's agree. That's the whole with you. point of this of yeah. this item is like I just wanted to address the thing that yes. you mentioned about being asked for tips in non-service situations. Yes, yeah. right, and 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 you're right. So, like, what what I would like to suggest to the manager. The, the manager out there of yeah, things yeah. is let's do away with tipping mm -hmm. altogether. Let's just pay people livable wages. Mm -hmm. And as customers at restaurants or wherever else, we just pay what we need to pay to, to get the items that we've ordered to eat or drink. Yeah. And that's it. Like, let's do away with this. Like, like it's, it's one of those problems. I feel like that once enough people get on board with the idea that this is a better and more right way to do it, that maybe society can change. But like, we have grown up in this country just used to, this is the way things are. And it's a, it's a big mountain to climb. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just want to put it out there in the collective consciousness that like, tipping sucks. Tipping has very problematic uh, origins. And everybody across the board would be better without it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do that. And as a, an ancillary sort of side benefit that would come along with that, yeah. it would remove an avenue for men to groom uh, female bartenders. Or to harass them? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the word I chose was groom. Okay, why? And I did it intentionally uh, because, like, I know from my experience that, like, when I was out there drinking, like, it's super easy to just make a habit of tipping the super hot bartender like 20 bucks where you, a normal person would do five. And if you do that enough times, they sort of start to think of you more favorably. And if also they're a bit of a drinker and you buy them drinks, the end point is you can try to get them into bed. Oh it's terrible God. behavior. It's but I'm just saying, it's like, I know from my experience and from having watched other people out uh, there, it is a thing that happens. Of course. People will predate upon servers or people in service industries any way they can. And this removes an avenue for that. So I think it's really good. Predation for for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, there we go. That's my suggestion for the manager. I think it's really good. Um, I also today would like to request a gold star. No way. Yes. So uh, I, as of yesterday, have been studying French for 200 days. I reached my 200-day wow. mark yesterday. It feels like a, a little, like, 
Ding, reward. That's, I, I've already gotten my gold stars. Like, I don't even actually need to ask for them, but I'm feeling proud. So They probably literally gave them to you in the app, huh? Uh, th- yes, there's all sorts of reward, you know, symbols and bells and whistles and things when you achieve things. It's wonderful. Oh, I love it. Uh, so, j'étudie avec Duolingo uh-huh. et j'aime parler français beaucoup. Oh, man. Très bien, Shannon. <laughs> Merci. Love it. All right. Absolutely, you get gold stars. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, this feels important. for a very important message. All right, what do you have for us? Is it, is it going to be like a bummer? <laughs> it's wonky. Okay. It's wonky. Okay. Um, so, the lar it's, it's a light bummer, but <laughs> I don't know. So much of the news is a heavy bummer that like a light bummer kind of feels like we're getting away yeah. easy. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay, great. A light, a light bummer it is. A light bummer it is. So, uh, this is just under the general heading of continued right-wing bad faith attacks on the electoral process. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, and it's a little bit wonky, but I thought it was important. Okay. Uh, so, this comes to me via one of the many newsletters I get. This one is a super nerdy one. It's called Decision Desk HQ. Okay. And it is a it's an election tracking organization okay. and but also an issues tracking organization they do a, they're in they're tied in with pollsters and they do like averages of polls and uh, representative samplings just to see where opinions are. It's a good way to track that kind of stuff over time. And they also drill down on specific issues related to election integrity and elections in general, okay. that kind of thing. All right. um, so uh, there is this thing out there that's called ERIC. It is the Election uh, Electronic Registration Information Center. Okay. Electronic Registration Information Center is called ERIC. It is a clearinghouse of voter information, and it enables states to maintain accurate voter registration records and to identify potential cases of double voting by the same person. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is, uh, so it was set up uh, a while back, um, and here's how it works. And I will just read the summary from the newsletter because it's a, a very good one. Okay. Uh, here's how Eric works broadly. Participating states provide access to their voter rolls and other records, including information from motor vehicle agencies. Mm-hmm. Eric combines that data to make it easier to identify individuals who may have moved from one state to another and have neglected to update their registration information mm-hmm. or who might have cast votes in two jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you and I moved from California mm-hmm. to Washington State state about five years ago. Mm -hmm. When we did that, we registered to vote here in Washington state. That's fine. That's totally legal. We didn't cancel our voter registration in California. We just left it hanging in the breeze out there. Right, right. What happens with this clearinghouse of information with all these states kind of sharing data via this central organization, they just look at things like DMV records. So they see that we registered here with the DMV. We registered to vote here. They're like, Hey, they pretty clearly now live in Washington. They communicate that to California, and California will remove us from their voter rolls. Nice. And the reason that's good is because it makes it so that somebody who knows we moved can't go there and say, yeah, I'm Jamie Hill. They can't show up at the South Pasadena Public Library, (laughs) you know, and... They're like, yeah, I'm Jamie Hill. I want to vote here. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, which, again, is a really, really niche thing. Doesn't happen a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. But it's good to prevent it from sure. possibly happening. You want to keep this stuff clean and pruned and tight and just accurate. Yeah. Because when you keep it cleaned and pr- pr- pruned and tight and accurate, what it does is it just increases everybody's faith in the system. Yeah. You want to run a tight ship when it comes to voting. Yes. And that means not just like having undone cleaning. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, that's kind of what it does. Uh, 
Eric has uh, an office in Washington, D.C. Their data is housed in the United States. Uh, secure remote access to the data center is limited to only employees who need it to perform their duties. Mm -hmm. It's like a really well-run thing. And mm -hmm. it's run in D.C. And there's a lot of oversight in D.C. because D.C. doesn't have statehood, so all their oversight comes from Congress. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a good way to do things. Mm -hmm. Um so uh, it says here in the article, uh, there's little argument about whether Eric serves its purpose. Uh, and to be clear, there's no argument from left wing. Okay. Like the left wing just understands because we generally operate in good faith about stuff like this, that it's great to have an agency coordinating this thing. Why would you not want that? Of course you would want that. Let's all share the data. Let's have sunshine and make sure all the data is matching and accurate and cleaned yeah. and purged. And that's just good for everybody. Yeah. But of course, this does not play well at all with Republicans, far right wingers, who want to discredit elections and discredit election integrity. And indeed, they want to cast a pall over the very idea that we can even have fair elections in the USA because they want to continue contest elections that they will lose in 2024. Right. And so they're laying the groundwork to contest all the elections. Sowing seeds of doubt in the system itself so that when they lose elections in the future, they can be like, it was rigged. Or That's it right. Was, they cheated. Or you see, it's impossible to even know for sure. Therefore, we should just have power because yeah. we want it. And this is a way, Eric, this system mm -hmm. is a way to absolutely make sure. Yeah. And so they don't like it at all. Okay. And so they have been, uh, over the past number of months, just attacking it. And uh, a lot of Republican-led states have been withdrawing from it because it's quote-unquote corrupt. Oh, because come it's quote-unquote a liberal system oh that quote-unquote disenfranchises only Republican voters, right? <sighs> it's a completely bad faith attack. Yeah. Uh, it's not grounded in any actual fact of the situation, but as we've seen from the extreme right wing in this country, all the shit they do is not grounded, in nope. fact. It's just throwing shit at the wall. It's literally called flooding the zone with shit. That's Steve Bannon's term mm -hmm. of art for this mm -hmm. process, right? Um, but that said, there is little actual argument about whether Eric serves his purpose. I'm reading again from this newsletter here. Former Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill wrote last year that Eric was instrumental in the state removing, quote, more than 1,350,000 ineligible voters from the rolls since 2016. Mm -hmm. That's a secretary of state in fucking Alabama. Right. <laughs> it doesn't get more conservative than Alabama. Right. And it also doesn't get more voter disenfranchisee, except maybe like Mississippi, but it's right next door. Right. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Close runner-up. Close runner-up for sure. And even their secretary of state is like, no, Eric's great. They helped us remove a bunch of people. Removing ineligible voters from the rolls is something that Republicans theoretically are all for and love. And this is the system that helps them do it the most accurately, right? Um, and also he continues just on the topic of uh, the security of the system. Uh, our office does not have direct access to other states' voter databases or driver's license records. Eric does. And they mm -hmm. just tell us which ones are duplicates that we need to flag, mm -hmm. right? Um, the John Locke Foundation, which is a conservative think tank in North Carolina, has recommended that the state join the consortium while echoing the concerns about data security. Um, so uh, la last year, uh, the, the think tank published an essay saying that while there's no evidence that data from Eric has gone to outside groups, it should take steps to assure member states that such a breach is not possible. And that's a little both sidesy bullshit. Yeah. But even in context of that, they're lobbying to join. Right. So not every state belongs to it. Not every state belongs to it. But a ton of them do. And a ton of the really important ones. A lot of like where this really matters, obviously, is in states that people move to and from a whole lot, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if they're kind of purpley states. Mm -hmm. So, you know, California people move to and from there a lot, not very purpley, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you look at places like uh, Ohio and Florida, they're not purpley right now because of extreme gerrymandering, yeah. but in the hearts of their people, they are very purple. Mm -hmm. And people move between them 
all of the time and back and forth to Ohio from Ohio to Florida from Florida. Mm-hmm. Lots of migration going mm-hmm. on there. I mean, New York to Florida, Vermont to Florida, the whole East Coast of Florida. <laughs> like, Snowbirds. You and I personally Sunbirds. know like 10 different people who like have two homes, like a home on a lake in Vermont that they do for the summertime and then they go down to Florida for the nice yeah, summers. You know what I mean? a lot of that. It's a really common East Coast thing. You'd think that you would want to know who's voting where. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, especially if you are one of these right wingers who's in theory so concerned with voter integrity, you know. Um, but the bottom line is that this is getting uh, super criticized, and one of the groups that has been really active in criticizing Eric is the America Project. They always name these things with the most like <laughs> patriotic and bland and generic sounding names. You can basically know that if something's called like the Eagle Patriot Project, <laughs> it's going to be. So Super fucking right wing. Yes, yeah, so and what is, totally bad faith. What is right? the America Project? Uh, the America Project is a nonprofit organization created in early 2021 to specifically to press false claims that the 2020 election was stolen in uh, states like Arizona so their and mission, Pennsylvania. Their mission is to is to put false claims about elections being bad. That's what they were founded for. Okay. Yeah, that's the entire point of the organization. Good times. Uh, the group has among its leadership uh, people like Michael Flynn and Patrick Byrne. Oh my I mean, God. like the absolute worst of the worst. Um, you know, and they're uh, the ones who attempted to harangue election officials in 2021 and overturn the results of the presidential election, uh. the whole thing. Um, so all of Traitors. this. Yeah, and you know, it's a nonprofit, this group. And so you can't see who's donating money to it, but like... A third of their operating funds were donated by one person. So it's just like oligarchy, dark money, (laughs) like let's make elections unknowable and untrustable so we can install far right-wing candidates and just do whatever we want as corporate owners, you know? Um, It seems like the threat of uh, corporatism is a recurring theme today in the podcast, you know? I just wanted people to be aware about this, you know? This is kind of happening in real time right now. Like, so the, the takeaway really is that like, if you live in a state that is run by Republicans, I mean, I suppose you could reach out to your, uh, to your, uh, you know, attorney general. You could reach out to your elections administrator, your secretary of state. Yeah. That usually is, you know, yeah. and you could reach. I guess secretary of state probably the best person to reach out to. Just let them know, hey, we actually really support this. I don't know if it'll help. Local I, representatives too. I mean, just want you to yeah. know that this is happening, people. Because so, like, this organization is is lobbying states to withdraw from Eric. Is that, yeah. is that, is that that's what's yeah. the bottom line of what's happening? Yeah, okay. totally. Uh, and it's just a totally bad faith attack. And a lot of these Republican-led states are all too willing to go along with this lobbying because uh, it's it serves their ends ultimately, which is to win elections when they're a minority. Right. You know, and Goodness this, this is one of the ways they do that. So heads up, people just thought that that felt important. Wanted to share. I am, I, I'm not so sure it's a light bummer. It's a it's a slow moving obscure bummer. Yeah. That's what I want to say about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, then, um, f- because you suggested us to that uh, slow moving obscure bummer, Jamie, I think you need to bring us into the inspiration station. Inspiration station. Yes. Okay. I have a lovely one. Okay. And it sounds a little dark, but I don't think it is. Oh, okay. It's this just very beautiful little short quote from the uh, poet, novelist, essayist, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, death tugs at my ear and says, live, I am coming. Mm, say it again. Death tugs at my ear and says, live, I am coming. That is so... That's so great. You know, I, I had a couple of experiences this last week. Um, I 
without you, uh, finished, watched and finished the the TV series, The Good Place. Yeah. Which um, I won't say anything about the series that's going to like blow it for anyone who hasn't watched it. But Good. oh my God, it was so wonderful. And I... I will probably watch it again. Like, and it deals with the the, the whole the whole premise of the show is um, is a bunch of people who are in the afterlife, yeah. and um, and so all the it's it's a comedy, and they're short little because it was made for TV, like for actual broadcast TV. The episodes are like twenty two minutes long, so that's like short little bite sized you know comedy episodes, and it's funny, um, but also the topics that they're dealing with are like existential. Yeah. <laughs> it's really amazing how they have have uh, approached all that. But there are some episodes, especially toward the end of the final season, that really had me grappling with the ideas, with, that, with the idea of death and, and its implication for my life. Um, mm. And so that idea of, a, of death tugging at your ear saying, live, I'm coming. Yeah. It, was, it echoes some of, the, some of the stuff I feel like I absorbed from that. And then also we watched, uh, we binged the series, The Last of Us, this, this oh, past weekend, yeah. which was fantastic. But there was one episode in particular and in the middle of the series that focused on um, these two men who were surviving the, the, the sort of zombie apocalypse together, mm-hmm. like in their own fortified, like two person uh, existence yeah. in the, you know, that they had created. And um, they were, they were partners um, and, and you got to see in, in the episode, uh, they're, they're, they're living in an, in a zombie apocalypse, but they found reasons in each other, in themselves, in the context of their presence with each other to live. Yeah. Right. And that idea that like, the the concept of death, while you're right, you said it, it, it can seem dark to think about. Mm-hmm. It is the thing that really inspires the most life. Yeah, for you sure. You know, like I, like I I really love and appreciate that you shared that. So thank you. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. Do you have something for inspiration station? Or is I it don't. Just me. Just it's you. Just, just me. Okay. You did all the work. So let's hey. wrap things up today with the gratitude crank up. All right. I'm going first. I. I'm feeling so grateful today for sunshine, for the very beginnings of the little baby spring buds and blossoms coming around, Mm -hmm. coming up around town, Um, the longer days after daylight savings time started. It just feels really great and springy and sunny. And I'm so, so grateful for all of those things. It makes my spirit feel like I'm looking forward to the new season, a new season. Oh, it's I love great. it. Yeah. yeah. How I, about you? That was basically the same as mine. Oh, okay, great. My, my, I'm grateful. <laughs> I, I wrote here that I'm grateful for uh, just having a walk along the waterfront with you uh, earlier this afternoon. It was great. It was really nice. We just walked arm in arm kind of slowly and there were pets and babies and beautiful water and mountains. We saw a seal. Yep. It was very cute. Yeah. Uh, it was just really, really nice. And we have a couple of little baby daffodils and they're freaking adorable. In our yard. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Very good. Mm-hmm. You all, thank you so much for listening today. Um, we are just so grateful for you that you decided to give us a little bit of your time. Yeah. Go buy tickets for that theater show, people. If you're in Northern California, you do not want to miss this. Uh, we have been just inc- lay- continuing to lay the groundwork for it. Uh, we have a couple of collaborators who are going to do some really nifty stuff. Uh, can't say a ton more about it right now, but the show is going to be rad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working with the theater uh, to, we're probably going to debut some new 
technology at the theater, like at our show. Like they're getting some new stuff, like apropos of our show that they'll use for themselves going on, but which is going to make our show look really, really rad. So it's going to be so neat. You can go to bstreettheater.org. That's theater in the British way, theatre, T-R-E <laughs> at the end, right? Bstreettheater.org. And you can buy your tickets there. Please do. We would love to see you there. And also, frankly, with this being our first theater show, you know, if you're thinking about supporting us, if you feel supportive generally of us showing up physically mm. for this thing and showing a promoter, like a real actual promoter who does real actual shows, <laughs> not in people's backyards, yeah. that we can deliver in that kind of environment, uh, that would be very, very good for us. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks, people. We will be back again next week with another episode of the Misfit Stars podcast. I hope that you will join us then. Uh, but until then, um, thank you to our supporters who make this all happen. If you have not yet become a supporter of our work, please do so at misfitstars.com slash support. Yes, thank you. We will be so ever, ever so grateful to you for that. Um, we'll see you next week. Be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love you all. Bye. Bye.